This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Check this out. This is the Riff and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Riff and Read. This music means that Nancy Slee was in the house, electronic dance music, which is the house music of Sliwa and Cats, uh, whereas you hear all the kinds of music uh, here at WABC. But most importantly, you've had live and local programming all week long. We never miss the beat, and we won't as we continue on through the weekend. Tonight I'm back, 12 midnight to 6. So nice, and the suits let me do it twice, Sunday mornings, 12 to 6. And then I come back Sunday night, uh, the training of Andrew Giuliani, who earned his stripes this week. Then with Nancy Sliwa, the Animal Welfare Hour, which will be nationally syndicated the beginning of the year from coast to coast. And Nancy, I haven't discussed it with you yet, but I'd like to do a uh, hourly, weekly segment from uh, 9 to 10 before the Animal Welfare on just general topics with you, because this week, the one thing the suits have told me, the feedback is, wow, Nancy is really good beyond just animal welfare issues. And this comes from people who are regular talk show listeners. So uh, we didn't expect that. But you see what happens all of a sudden when you're in the Curtis Lee with boot camp. Anything can happen, Nancy, anything. Yeah, I like the way you described it as a boot camp. I was thinking more of vacation, but, uh, yeah, I think boot, boot camp is more apropos. It is. It is because sometimes, hey, I lift you up and then I have to drop you down. Uh, Dominic has done extraordinarily well. He's, he's skyrocketing now, Dominic Carter, Anthony Weiner, who's in the boot camp, Andrew Giuliani, yourself, but... The star that crashed, yes, Diego, was uh, Frank Morano, who was leading everyone in the ratings at one point. Everybody, including Sid. And then he came back to normalcy. So now he's doing remedial training in the boot camp. But it's so great just to be here at WABC. So let's get right into it, to rip and read the topics that Nancy has chosen are spot on. So let's start with uh, the brick-and-mortar stores, the retail that you and I have regular conversations about here in the city and the surrounding suburbs. Yeah, so not surprisingly, um, national chain stores in New York City are closing at historic rates. So there's the most closures since 2020, which obviously made sense during COVID because, you know, so many of the people were afraid of uh, coming into contact with fellow citizens, getting infected. So now it's not very clear as to why these stores are closing down. With the exception of they're citing the prevalence of remote work, the rise of e-commerce. Now, I'm pretty sure e-commerce, you know, it has always been fairly steady. But what's interesting is one thing they're they're not really bringing up 
is that when you go into these stores these days, it will take you, like use your term, a month of Sundays, but forever to get something. So by the time you decide what you want, you have to press a button, wait for someone to show up, and then unlock the item before you can even wait on the line to go to the store. So I, I think they're really dropping the ball on the rationale as to why a lot of these stores are closing and why people don't want to go to those brick-and-mortar stores, um, particularly the chain stores they were talking about. Um, have to do with the, uh, like, pharmaceutical ones. So, for instance, the Duane Reeds and the CVSs, and they're also ascribing to that that now you can order a lot more stuff online because uh, it was a little bit more restrictive uh, previously. But, again, if anyone's gone to any of these stores to wait for a prescription, I mean, I've seen people lose their minds on these lines when they had to come back three or four times, and they are yelling at the the pharmacist behind the counter. I mean, it's not – they clearly don't run a great operation if <laughs> – as you can tell, you've been to the stores before. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. But give us an idea. Just at the uh, Dwayne Reed that we frequent up near Columbus Avenue on the Upper West Side, some of the things that you've explained me that you've encountered there just in the last few months. Well, okay. So uh, one, one thing I would say is kind of funny is that you always have to show ID when you're getting Claritin. Now, I have really bad allergies. Uh, you went the other day to get that from me when I was sick. You had a valid passport. It's just that you had the expired one. You had to come back. I mean, th- think about that level of restriction. I mean, all it is is for my for my allergies, and you and they made yeah. you leave the store. And, and, and by back. the way, the person behind the counter knew who I was. I said, "Well, you know who I am." Yeah, you know I ran for mayor. Yeah, I voted for you. So you know who I was. You voted for me. But it's not good enough for me to make this purchase for my wife now, who is like uh, choking and coughing. And no, you're going to have to go and get some other ID, Mr. Sliwa. I mean, and think of that compared to a lot of these pop up uh, weed shops they have. I mean, you could be underage buying the nicotine, the cigarettes. No one's getting carded at these stores. And this is an illegal business, and that's completely fine. But when you're trying to get allergy medication, the hurdles they put up to you. So that's that's definitely one of them I've noticed. Um, also, what I've noticed is, um, you know, I sign up for something where I order the prescription online, then they send you a text message to let you know it's available. Well, you can still come to the store and it's not available yet. Oh, you know, we need a few more minutes. Now, again, the, the one that we go to is 72nd Street. It has like a 24-hour pharmacy. That line will go out the door. And you might show up and they still haven't uh, ran it through. And now the pharmacist it, only at that point starts, you know, making the medication. So you've been waiting online for maybe an hour. And now you have to come back after that. Now, I've talked about here on WABC in my bully pulpit all the shoplifting that I've either stopped or I've heard about or I've seen from a distance. It's nonstop in these uh, brick and mortar stores. What have you experienced in, in your many trips over to the Dwayne Reed in our neck of the woods? Well, yeah, to your point, aside from things that are locked up and require you calling them to open, anything that that is open or that's been broken, there's um, a lot of times the refrigerator area has been broken. That's where the alcohol is. I mean, you can tell right away when someone's walking in the store that they have no intention of paying because they have their bags right under their arms and will walk up and down the aisles just putting every item into their bag, not even thinking about it, not, you know, not a second thought to it. And the store employees who are there, their um, protocol, they're being told, don't get involved in it. So obviously, they're watching it happen. The customers are watching it happen. And in our area, there's a lot more um, of the uh, pop-up, like migrant shelters as well. So now you have people who are just trying to 
to get their bearings and figure out, well, how do I get these items in the store? And you just look around you and you see, oh, apparently I take them for free. Now, isn't this interesting learned behavior? <laughs> You're an illegal alien. You're lucky to be here in New York City. You figure, ah, I don't have money to go in that store yet. And now you're watching other Americans going in there and just walking out with items. And you're talking in Spanish to one another or whatever your native tongue is like, well, I guess this is the American way. You go into a store and you just walk out without having to pay. And so now they're doing, they're doing the shopping. The best story you told me was a few months ago, you're in the Dwayne Reed and a black guy is walking out with like a case of beer. And you're ready to stop him because you got him dead to rights. You're filming him. And the cashier says, nah, he's walking out with Bud Light. Nobody's buying Bud Light now. Let him walk out with it. Maybe we'll have a few less cases. But just the fact that everybody has pretty much capitulated, waved the white flag, they've rolled over. Uh, shoplifting and boosting products is just a part of retail here in New York City. Yeah, I mean, and, and also just thinking about how normally uh, these types of national chains even, you know, come to the, the areas they do in the first place because they're viewed as, oh, they're so popular, they're going to be an anchor store, it's going to be good for the neighborhood. Once you have one of these stores, it attracts other big name brand uh, type stores as well. But they give them a lot of tax subsidies, a lot of breaks to bring these stores in. And this is what crushes a lot of the mom-and-pop shops. You can't compete. The, the, the prices are just too low for these national chains. Well, but as you can see, when they have problems, here they are just closing up shop. So now we don't have the mom-and-pop stores anymore, and we have these jobs that came in and took the place of other jobs. And now they're pulling their jobs away too. And, you know, again, this is at the same exact time when you have a workforce of people coming in who are undocumented – we're looking to do anything. So, you know, it's it's a bad combination of timing. Well, not only that, but you see all the illegal vendors now setting up outside of normal retail shops that are, that are still open. And they're selling the same products on the outside. They're not paying any taxes. There's no payroll tax. Uh, there's nothing. And they just start selling products. Now, here it is. You're trying to run a business. you got all kinds of expenses. you got... Uh, all of a sudden, somebody from the uh, Department of Health is coming in, inspecting your facilities. Somebody out there just selling food with no license, no nothing. And it's sort of like you feel like you're in a third world country. And there is absolutely no enforcement whatsoever. Look, you want to take like Diego when he first came here to uh, New York. And let me let me be very specific about Diego, unlike maybe some of his other compadres. He is a legal citizen. We encourage Legal immigration, not the illegals. But everybody always wants to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. Their first, oh, if I can walk across the Brooklyn Bridge, whether from the Brooklyn side to the Manhattan side, it's gorgeous. You end up in City Hall or you leave from City Hall, you go over to the Brooklyn side. It's absolutely phenomenal. Now you get on that footbridge walking over the Brooklyn Bridge. It's like, remember, the London Bridge is falling down. They used to have all these houses on the London Bridge before it fell down. Now you got all these vendors selling these cheap little tchotchkes, things you would never use in a month of Sundays, and they're having a debate at City Hall as to whether these vendors who are selling nothing that is of uh, any use to anybody should be allowed to stay. They're not licensed, and it's just clogging up the footpath. And you're saying to yourself, this city is absolutely out of control, that you can't even make a decision to remove the illegal vendors from the footbridge at Brooklyn Bridge, one of the most iconic destinations for tourists and others who come to visit New York City. 
Yeah, I ha- actually, I had gone to uh, law school in Brooklyn, and I used to walk across that bridge. Now, this was a while back, and the, the huge concern then was really the bicycles because they were usually in the um, going opposing of the foot traffic, and they go very fast. So that, I mean, now they have the designated bike lane, which is off of that footpath, but it's been replaced by all of these illegal vendors. And the oddity of the things that they're selling, um, they're selling mixed drinks and food. They're taking pictures. They're doing sketches, um, you know, <laughs> people as they're there. So this has been going on for months. Now, as of January 3rd, midnight, they said, we're going to remove everybody. But clearly they've been doing this before. They're handing out the fines. If you're giving tickets to people who you can't track down and they're going to come back, really, what's the point? So they haven't been successful in removing these people from the bridge. And um, what's interesting, too, is the New York uh, City, the DOT commissioner, Rodriguez, you know, he he, he describes the Brooklyn Bridge. The Rodriguez. The Brooklyn Bridge has been called America's Eiffel Tower. So I'm not sure if he's referring to, like, the wait, prevalence wait. of rats. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> Idanis Rodriguez. Has said that the Brooklyn Bridge is the equivalent of the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Yeah, it's New York City's Eiffel Tower, apparently. It's a freaking bridge. Yeah, it's it's, it's a bridge. I can see you say the Empire State Building, World Trade Center, I Chrysler Building, tall, up in the air like the Eiffel Tower. Nobody thinks of the Brooklyn Bridge the same way you do of the oh, Eiffel Tower. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone has gone across that bridge and wanted to hang out very long. You know, it's, it's clearly you just want to see the view and keep it moving. Um, but again, I think, you know, the Eiffel Tower, the prevalence of the rats, maybe he's bringing up that point. There's a lot of rats on the bridge. My God, this city is so large. Now, when we come back, I want to discuss with you the state of the criminal justice system because the number one uh, story has to do with this uh, mad slasher was struck again in Rikers Island. Anybody he comes across, he's slashing. Uh, there's no uh, bing. There's no solitary confinement. They don't want to put him in that just a four-hour timeout before they put him back into the general population. You, at one time, were in the criminal court system of Brooklyn uh, defending people who were being charged. What do you think the difference is from when you were the counselor at the ready to defend the accused and what's going on now in which it seems no matter what you do, other than if you kill somebody, you're going to be out on your own recognizance and not even have to wear a fortune off bracelet around your your ankle in order to monitor you in uh, what they call now home incarceration. It's your place to be. That's right. 24-7-365. It's live and local programming. We're not talking about, oh, this is what happened in 2023 or hypothetical. No. Every day is a breaking news day here at WABC. And we're going to give you live and local programming with the newest of our great talk show hosts in development here, Nancy Sliwa. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. One more time. Well, Diego, you seem to be in the swing of things here with electronic dance music with the replays of the old classics in a different form. Notice, he's, he's bopping his head. Okay, well, that's that's uh, Nancy Sliwa's music and my music. So can we say you're into house Sliwa music? I can get into it. See? See? Very good. As can everybody else. It's not foreign to you. You may never have heard it before, but it's a mood elevator. You don't need to take Molly or Ecstasy just listen, and you become like a whirling dervish. Now, a lot of people don't know this about my wife, Nancy. They know she's a lawyer, an e-attorney. She does the deep dive on a lot of the news that I break here that others come back and say, oh, you made that up, oh, you're lying, and then Nancy's able to put everything up in legal form so that people know that we're dealing with them straight up. But you also spent your time, before I met you, in criminal court, uh, defending uh, the accused, correct? That's correct. So what do you make of the criminal justice system when you were actively uh, in court, uh, having clients come up that you had to defend in criminal court down at Skimhorn, Skimhorn Street, and what you see transpiring now? What do, you, what do you see as the potential differences? Well, it was first of all, it was much more difficult to uh, get any sort of a, a reduction in uh, fences. So uh, par for the course was, you know, I did a lot of um, possession representation, and they always charge with a felony, and the idea is that you're trying to uh, get it down to a misdemeanor, and then with the misdemeanor, you know, you have a, like, you don't get in trouble, say it's first time, you don't get in trouble six months, that kind of goes away from your record. Um, but again, there would be a fight to have some sort of a charge where you're not going to have something attached to your record, where you're not going to be... Uh, right away, automatically, you know, losing uh, some sort of a benefit uh, because of that conviction. Today, uh, it's it blows my mind how easy it is to walk away with nothing. I mean, not even a criminal offense. Um, so I, I think that, that I think that's really the biggest change. It used to be a lot more uh, problematic if you got arrested. Like you would have to be concerned about being jammed up, and it, you were going to you know be sitting in arraignments. You're going to be sitting there for a while. Um, and today, I mean, again, even just the, the ease with which people walk out without having to produce any bail, I mean, it boggles my mind, especially when you're talking about uh, violent crimes. I mean, you know, the ones, again, the ones I had were, uh, you know, more property offenses, I guess, called things like that, or just breaking the laws. But crimes against people, I'm surprised how light they're being taken now. Well, for instance, when you were a defense attorney and uh, handling clients who were uh, being accused, you talk about how much more difficult it was then than now. But my perception is when I first started getting locked up myself, 
all the time. I mean, I've been locked up 80 times. Is that almost all of these never go to court. People have this impression. They watch TV. Oh, you know, it's like law and order, an episode. It's in a courtroom with a judge, the prosecutor, and the defense attorney. It almost never goes to court. I mean, it's always, let's say in this case, Nancy, you sitting with an assistant district attorney who's been charged with the case and trying to hash out a plea negotiation. How much of your time was just spent trying to hash out a plea so that you never actually went before a judge and it was adjudicated before a jury? Well, that was actually like the the first point of contact, the arraignments court, which if you haven't been there, there's a reason why people settle so quickly. It's one of the most horrific places to ever go. Uh, public buildings, you can imagine. I mean, talk about dirty. We're talking about how, how dirty the subways are. The arraignment court is filthy. It's not like the Supreme Court, the nice ones. So when you get arrested, you have to go there. I mean, I w- you know, I would be called late at night. The whole point is you need to be there to stand with your client before the judge so they can get them out. Once they get out, to your point, you'll have a lot of interfaces um, you know, uh, between the judge and your client because there's a lot of stalls. Um, and the, but the stalls are for the purpose of uh, speaking with the ADAs and hashing out the deal. Okay, you get the folder uh, what are they being charged with? What is the the police record? You're going through it, and then you're coming up with a reasonable charge. I've had you know some who who work with you better than others. Uh, some people are you know really hard nosed about it, and you know they they're, they're not really buying of that this person has seen the light, even though they did something 25 times, but they won't ever do it again. So you know <laughs> there's that lack of. So they didn't they, they didn't buy your <laughs> rationale that he has seen the light after getting busted on the same charge 25 times. Yeah, but at this, but then it's also not necessarily worth their time, right? So depending upon, you know, and that's where the negotiation, right? That's what law really should be, much more of arbitration and negotiation as opposed to sort of this uh, ridiculous, zealous advocacy. That's what you see, I would say, in more than anything in, like, divorce matters, custody matters. I mean, I, I would take representing a criminal defendant any day over a divorce client just because the – the mental space that you have to be in with a couple who now hates each other and they're fighting over children. And I mean, that's a, that's a bad court to be in. Mm. That's a bad court to be in. And so do you regret uh, not being back in criminal court? Cause now you wouldn't have anybody to have to plea negotiate with. <laughs> they're just released on desk. Yeah, appearance you wouldn't even tickets. get clients anymore at this point. They don't need you. <laughs> <laughs> now, But we need you here because you've done the deep dives as the e-attorney on many of these cases where the city has complained that I've been making things up, that I'm lying about these no-bid contracts, the lack of transparency. Just yesterday, you tipped us off to another iceberg coming our way that's going to cost us a ton of money, a super, uh, I guess we can call it, a super shelter for illegals that's being built on the Guanas Canal. That previously you couldn't build anything there. And then all of a sudden, through the miracle of knowing the mayor and being friends with the mayor, now you got a 400-bed facility for single able-bodied males. You've done a deep dive, and you are now able to tell us why things move so expeditiously and why things are so profitable for friends of Eric Adams. Yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, so this particular place that we were discussing yesterday, the uh, individual who purchased the property, his name is David Leviton. 
Now he's, uh, you know, uh, he's hiding behind his, you know, little corporation like Third Street LLC, but he's the owner of this. Now, it's now let me ask you yeah. a question because you've had to uh, appear, you've had to strip back the veneer of a lot of these LLCs. It seems like every one of these companies is an LLC. Why the LLC, and how are you able to actually find out? Who's involved? Because isn't that generally why they become an LLC? They don't want anybody to know who's involved in that corporation? Well, yeah. So, yeah. so actually, to your point, right now, this is one of the changes that Hochul just signed into law, supposedly to give uh, LLC transparency so that uh, the purpose is to avoid any potential misconduct that may, that may be masked by this sort of ownership. Now, the problem is this, this information is only available to government agencies and law enforcement. Government agencies already know who these people are. I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a secret. So, for instance, this one individual that I was uh, referring to, he has a history of using shell companies. And when they, they started an initiative uh, to bring 90 homeless shelters throughout the five boroughs, uh, they got around to about uh, 45 or 50 of them. He owns one-third of those Throughout the city, one third of those homeless shelters he owns and got the contracts for under all different types of different shell names. So he doesn't, or, or he's getting paid uh, not even to manage the homeless shelters, just so that the city can use his facility to house illegals or just regular single able-bodied men. And and these contracts were given after he was named as one of the city's worst landlords. For housing code violations, I mean, and these are like horrific violations um, where the building is literally falling apart. There's no water. There's no heat. There's no basic. And, and he's responsible for running these shelters. So he's been getting away with this for quite some time. And the city does know who he is. So this Transparency Act is kind of irrelevant because they're still willing to give the contracts to these people who are committing these housing violations. So that's that's the problem. Now, the property that he's um, converting now in Gowanus the previous owner of it had been trying for about 20 years to uh, transition this into some sort of normal housing and was met at every turn, at every approval agency by the city with no, 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 it's too dangerous, we can't do it, it's an industrial area, we can't permit the rezoning, not happening. Well, all of a sudden you have the, he bought it six weeks later, he gets a contract. Now, this place is leased for nine years so all of a sudden, six weeks later, this place became profitable after after he did a fire sale and got so it for half price. This guy is the worst slumlord in the city, who's been cited by the public advocate as Dracula landlord number one. He owns one-third of the property that the homeless shelters that we pay for in the city of New York house. What the hell is this guy's name again? Oh, David Leviton. Okay. And we're signing up a lease for this guy, for nine years, whether we lose, we use it or we don't, this is what you call good old-fashioned bribery. You're a friend of the mayor or a friend of the mayor's cronies. You get kickbacks. And I've said this from the beginning. This whole migrant issue is kickback heaven for everybody who has contributed to Eric Adams, who now can put their beak in the trough. You can't get a worse landlord in the city. I mean, the number one Dracula landlord. Look at it. Look at it. You're amazed, Diego. Even in Mexico, they don't do this. One-third of the homeless shelters are being run on his property, and he has been cited for being a Dracula landlord. Yeah, and what's even worse is that because these contracts are now being awarded based on this emergency situation, that means that 
There's no competitive bid process that's done. There's no transparency. So we don't know how much the city agreed to pay for the next uh, two-and-a-half-year contract and nine-year lease. No, don't, they don't have to tell us. No transparency under executive order, no bid contracts. Now maybe you understand why this mayor, Eric Adams, instead of going to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue that he dreamed of doing as the second black president of the United States, should be going in chains and shackles to the big house for political corruption. It just is so obvious. And City Hall, I know you're listening. Go ahead, challenge. Challenge that deep dive by Nancy Sliwa. Challenge the facts. Challenge the facts that you're dealing with the worst Dracula landlord in the city who owns one-third of the properties that you're putting illegal aliens in. He's getting kickbacks. Friends of Eric Adams are getting the contracts. And we don't have any say in any of this because there's no transparency. It's under emergency order, and it's a no-bid contract. To me, that's spelled C-R-I-M-E. Lock them all up and throw away the key. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Sliwa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. Leewa House Music here, WABC, EDM Electronic Dance Music, Colina on Diego, Major Laser and DJ Snake. Yeah, you have no idea what the hell we're talking about. This is the music of the Sliwa household. It's a natural mood elevator. You don't need to be dropping Molly, your generation, the Diego or Ecstasy or, or any other mood alter, alternators. You got it right here naturally. That's right, Matt Meany. He's in the groove. And that's the music we play at the Sliwa household as we do preparation to come back after more crooks in New York City and the greater tri-state area that are trying to rob from the taxpayers or drive them out. So I have said over and over, uh, Mrs. Sliwa, that there is a concerted effort to drive homeowners out of the five boroughs of New York City, whether they own condos, whether they're co-op owners, but more importantly, if they own a brick-and-mortar, one- or two-family home. To me, it is so important because they are the anchors of so many communities. They pay the taxes. They support the school system with their taxes. And most importantly, if they leave, now that uh, mortgage prices are beginning to drop, mortgage charges, and they put their house up for a listing. You used to work in real estate, so you know what that is. That means they've signaled to everybody that they're going, going, gone. And this exodus is just continuing. 104,000 from New York State in just the last few months. Uh, our elected officials, uh, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb and Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan say. Have no fear. We lost 102, 104,000, but we replaced them with the illegal aliens. Don't worry. Eventually, they get Grubhub jobs. They pay taxes. 
but they're not going to be able to in any way, shape, or form replace the amount of wealth and income and equity that is that is vanishing from this city, this state, this tri-state area as we speak. Yeah, so the actual um, change in population, New York lost more residents, that's the largest of any state in 2023, despite the overall U.S. population growing. So the breakdown of it is this, right? 74,000 international arrivals, right? I think that's a quaint way of saying migrants. Whoa, 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 whoa. 74,000 international arrivals? That's what is- they called them. So instead of calling them migrants uh, or asylum seekers, I call them illegal aliens, right? Undocumented aliens. They call them what now? International arrivals. You see, that's what you are, Diego, except you're a legal guy, a legal guy who's coming from Mexico. We support legal immigration. So that's how many? 74,000. Right, continue. And then 41,000, the state's natural increase. Now, I'm guessing that's what... Schumer talks about, like the people procreating naturally. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's uh, remember, he's promoted Planned Parenthood. People have actually learned to use marital contraceptives and limit the population increase. Now he's complaining that we haven't created enough worker bees. So that's why we need illegal aliens. And see, if you listen to him on one end, you get pimp slapped on the other end. But but sadly, even in spite of those gains, we lost two hundred seventeen thousand people. So that leaves us at a like net 102,000. Now, there is a plan afoot that you have exposed me to. I was completely unaware of it. I've never been involved in real estate other than paying rent and avoiding uh, getting kicked to the street. I uh, always got to make sure I got to pay my rent because ain't nobody going to put up a rent party for us that used to occur when I was a kid growing up. If you wanted to keep a neighbor... And you realize that they were experiencing hard times because you didn't know who might replace them. Everybody in the neighborhood would get out into the street. They'd have a potluck, a barbecue, and they would contribute money to help that family pay rent for another month. Because you figure better the family we know that we get along with than maybe some new family moves in who are like modern-day domestic terrorists. But you have actually unfolded for me, based on your real estate and law experience, that there is a move afoot to destroy neighborhoods that had voted for me in the majority and voted for Zeldin in the majority. Is this correct? Yeah, it's hard to sort of avoid the obvious optics of this. It's uh, New York City has a new program uh, designed to create more affordable apartments, mixing them with luxury units. But what they're doing is they're putting it in neighborhoods where low-income housing development lags. Right now, again, the concept of saying that if you have – now, every neighborhood, obviously, there's a reason why we have so many, um, you know, individual council members. Every neighborhood has a different feel to it. So not every place has the, you know, the single-family homes or the two-family homes. Um, so to say that a spot doesn't have affordable housing it, it could just be the, the nature of the actual area. And then to come up with a plan specifically to say, oh, I mean, you have a um, sort of a set housing market, there's a price that the houses go for. You know what it goes for if you sell it. And now we are purposely saying you don't have enough affordable houses. So we're going to put – and again, these affordable houses are going to be right away tweaked into – they also said um, homeless shelters, transitional housing. So you're going out of your way specifically to depress a neighborhood because they don't have enough people living there who don't have enough money. So again, the, the concept behind purposely trying to depress the neighborhood – and then I'm looking at the focus of – 
which um, which cities it is that I'm, I'm sorry, like which uh, zip codes it is that they're trying to uh, specifically target. First of all, it's almost the entire Staten Island. The so entire Staten I, Island. I see based on the map you've shown me here. So Mid Island and South Shore, they want to do away with. This is incredible. Oh, my God. And, and then Howard Beach is also. Howard Beach is slated to be destroyed through upzoning. Woodhaven, Kew Gardens, Ozone Park, Massbooth, Ridgewood, Woodside, Sunnyside, Regal Park, Forest Hills, Elmhurst, Corona, Laurelton, Cambria Heights, Bayside, Little Neck, Red Hook, Park Slope, Mid-Island, South Island, Murray Hill, and the Upper East Side. Now, I'm looking at these areas, and I would say about two-thirds of them voted for me in the majority in the mayoral race against Eric Adams, and two-thirds of them voted for Lee Zeldin in the gubernatorial race. Uh, they basically went red. So they want to basically turn them blue by upzoning the area and driving people out. Yeah, and then because of the um, you know the decrease in population, we stand potentially to lose three House seats because of our decrease in population. So, it, again, it really seems hard to avoid the conclusion of what they're trying to do here. They're trying to um, take out the opposition, like any sort of opposition to them, and make it just one party uh, rule in New York, which, as you can see, it's a total nightmare what they're doing here. Well, recently the New York Times uh, did a huge critique on who is it that's joining the exodus out of New York City. Originally it had been just the big whales, the very rich, you know, hiding their uh, wealth uh, from being taxed. By going down to Florida, going down to Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, uh, but just to get the hell out of here. Now we see it's predominantly blue-collar, working-class people, not limited to white ethnics, blacks, Hispanics, Asians. If they get an opportunity to leave, they're leaving. This has dire uh, consequences for the city, both now and in the future. Then we look at all of these uh, office buildings. And, you know, the mayor's claiming, oh, all the workers are back. We've never done better. Half the office buildings are empty. If you were to collect all the empty space, it would fill up 18 Empire State Buildings. Imagine 18 Empire State Buildings. Oh, I got your attention on this one, Diego. You can relate <laughs> to that. It's 110 stories, right? 18 of them. Empty. Just imagine that's how much empty office space there is with no hope that any of that is going to be filled anytime soon. Because obviously people have learned you don't have to come to work. There's no enforcement of that, whether in the corporate sector, in most parts, definitely in the in this, uh, uh, civil sector. You got somebody like Jumani Williams, who's the public advocate, who has 60 employees who are on the payroll for the public advocate, which is a do-nothing position other than to run for office uh, sometime in the future, none of them are in their office. All of them get paid while sitting on their asses at home, growing barnacles on their backside under this guise of doing work at home. This is this is complete annihilation of the city. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, when you have so many empty spaces... The goal should be you want to either retrofit the places and this um, push by Adams consistently to build more, build more. There's not a lack of inventory. It's just a lack of uh, purposing it correctly. And along with this push to destabilize basically these these um, otherwise uh, fine residential neighborhoods, 
the developers get tax breaks and other local subsidies. So they're giving money to these developers to ruin the neighborhoods. And they want to do likewise to the suburbs where you came out of. You came out of Bohemia in Suffolk County. Kathy Hochul wants basically what she calls affordable housing in each and every suburb. Uh, For you to come into the city when you were going to law school or when you were first living on Long Island and working and going to school, what kind of a a schlep was it for you to just come back and forth? Uh, Well, it it was kind of difficult. I had to uh, go from my house to the Ronkonkoma train station. And then from there, uh, you had to take the train all the way into uh, Atlantic Terminal. And then you have to take the subway. So it's a lot of steps. It's a lot of steps. And so given the, uh, given the fact that taxes are high out in Long Island, as they are in parts of New Jersey and Connecticut and New York, why the hell would people stay here and not just flee to where you get a better quality of life, less cost, less pressure, less stress, and better school systems? Yeah, I mean, it, it does kind of beg the question. Um, you know, And again, one of the things uh, this year, too, one of the changes is uh, increasing the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, and then in New York City to sixteen dollars. First of all, there's a a, resi- a New York City residential tax um, put on people who just live in the five boroughs, so it's already more expensive to live here. Now you would think it's more expensive because it, there's more amenities being offered, and when you see everything that's being cut back on, it's just it really boggles the mind. The rents are going up, the services are getting cut, and the taxes are still remaining the same. And and look, basic necessities. It's not even uh, luxury items. I mean, your heating going up, your gas going up, your food going up. The salaries are staying the same. I mean, there's a tipping point. I'm not sure what, when we're going to hit it. Well, we know we hit it yesterday when we talked about the very McDonald's on East Fordham Road in Webster that I started the Guardian Angels in. In February of 1979, Diego learned something. Forty-five years ago, that McDonald's has been padlocked because the corporation, the McDonald's Corporation, based out of... Uh, Oak Brook, Illinois, and Chicago has said you cannot manage that McDonald's any longer. There are too many gangs, too many homeless, too many emotionally disturbed people, too many drug addicts, too many drug uh, dealers, too many pimps, too many prostitutes, and not enough customers. And the ice cream machine is always off. The ice cream machine is always broken. The sign is up there, along with the bathrooms, the lavatories. So you see, Diego... That's one place you're not going to be going for your Mickey D's, the place where I made my bones. Fordham and Webster, the store is padlocked, it's closed, there'll never be a Mickey D's there again. Look, if Ronald McDonald has packed up and fled, how soon before all the rest of you decide to follow in his big footsteps? Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. You know, one of the things we bring, uh, Nancy, to WABC from uh, our own personal postings uh, on our uh, social networking sites 
is a lot of eyeballs and a lot of potential listeners. Uh, we went out out into Third Avenue after the pipe had burst and the asbestos, the fear was asbestos fibers flying in the air, and it was apocalyptic. And you filmed me out there in Third Avenue. There was nobody around. I mean, nobody. It was midday. And I extrapolated uh, it into the future of New York City when everyone is left. Uh, explain how many hits we've had and how people can access this. Yeah, sure. So this is on uh, pretty much all of your social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, tick, TikTok. And you just go to Curtis Sliwa. Um, now, on TikTok so far, it has actually it has over 620,000 views. So this is definitely popping, and, and people are um, sort of liking the glimpse into 2024 that you're trying to give them. Right. So you can go on TikTok, the Instagram, the Facebook page, uh, the Twitter account, and you can see. And the social networking has been perfected by not just Nancy, but also James Perrone, who was part of uh, my campaign for mayor. He's helping the Guardian Angels now. Uh, their social networking profile is up. Uh, we're going to be hitting the subways hard this year because there are no transit cops. We're going to be flooding the system. So that's our promise to all of you. Now, earlier, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, joined uh, me as I was doing the mornings this week for Sid with Andrew Giuliani. And he inquired about this dog out in Long Island, not far from where you were raised, who was stabbed 17 times and apparently has survived. But he wanted to know the nature of it. Uh, he was interested in uh, how the dog was doing. Uh, our owner-operator, John and Margo Katsimatidis, love animals. Uh, and that's why they've allowed us to do the Animal Welfare Hour every Sunday from 10 to 11 which will now be turned into a nationally syndicated show early in the year. They can be heard from coast to coast, so more people can learn about animal issues. So on John's behalf and all of our listeners' behalf, what has become of this poor dog that was stabbed 17 times out on Long Island? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, this dog was found in Freeport, wandering the streets. Uh, it was bloodied. Uh, had 17 stab wounds uh, to it. And actually, this dog was, they, they don't know exactly what the instrument was. They're presuming it was a knife, uh, some sort of a sharp instrument. It actually pierced the chest of this dog and the lungs. So what happened was they had to do emergency surgery. I mean, that could have easily been um, a death. So uh, thankfully, uh, a, a good Samaritan did see this dog wandering the streets and then brought it into the local shelter, at which point, uh, the authorities were called. Uh, a press conference was given uh, with the Nassau uh, County DA a few days ago with this dog uh, who's been named Cornell. And this is now Cornell is healing. Uh, you know, thankfully made it through the surgeries and seems to be otherwise healthy, about like two years old. So I think, you know, even given the horrific nature of the abuse, um, you know, is expected to make a full recovery. And now this dog is in foster care, uh, waiting a home. But they're aggressively trying to obviously prosecute whoever did this, so they're reaching out to the public if they have any information on this. Now, um, you know, the dog didn't have a microchip or a collar, but I think based on the amount of pictures they're showing of this dog and then the location where it was found, you know, someone will come forward with information. They have, um, you know, like a fairly large reward for information leading to that. But now, again, obviously this is really sad because this is increased throughout New York, abuses against animals. There's more... 
um, you know, space being set aside in a lot of these public shelters for not just animals that no longer can be cared for, but for animals that have been taken away because of these abuse issues. So, um, you know, and again, based on this, these types of injuries, it's hard to tell whether this was done as a, you know, a personal you know, affront to this dog or um, unfortunately, a lot of instances where they get hurt like this, they could be used as bait dogs. There could be a dog fighting ring in the area. Um, I think in Long Island, you know, there is a lot of those underground as well. So it's a possibility it was being used as a bait dog on some level. And, and shame, shame on Dominic Carter, who came in here yesterday, substituting for Brian Kilmeade, and had a throwback number seven, Michael Vick jersey on. You should have seen the look on my wife's face. And Dominic just ran out of here. He did not want to deal with the wrath I was like, of Nancy Sleewa. Out of all the wonderful athletes you could choose to elevate, why that one? But it shows you there was one time the Michael Vick jersey, after he was arrested for dog abuse, he would hang dogs. He would kill dogs. Uh, he had the, uh, the, the, the ring where they would train dogs to basically compete and kill one another that his jersey, because of that, was the number one selling jersey in America of all the NFL stars. Uh, I'm proud to say I joined you, Nancy, and we protested uh, a previous Super Bowl right outside of NFL headquarters because he was one of the paid-for announcers of the Super Bowl. That's right, Diego. I don't want to hear about uh, cockfights, dogfights, or any of these cultural things. Oh, it's cultural. It's not cultural. And it's got to stop. And, hey, uh, Beret's off to the Nashville County DA for her following through on this and seeking prosecution. Not enough of that is done.